This morning I would like to look at a passage of scripture that we read this morning. And then take from that passage what the Bible says about the most important name that you'll ever hear. I remember one time I, I received a card from someone, and that card said on the back, if you meet me and forget me, you, for, you're, you lost nothing. But if you meet Jesus and forget him, you lost everything. For the Bible says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Have you ever thought about the importance of a name? In our culture, we do not put a great deal of thought into the meaning and significance of names. But the Bible, but in the Bible, names are always important. Take, for example, Abraham, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, his name. Jacob meant surplanter because he was a deceiver and a crafty man. But after his spiritual encounter with the Lord, he was given the name Israel. And Israel means prince of God. His name came to represent the whole nation. Another example is the name of one of the apostles who was named Simon. Until the day he boldly proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus told him that from this point on, you will be known as Peter, which means little rock or stone. Because in his confession, he had set forth the foundation of the Christian faith and would be given the keys to unlock the gospel specifically to the Jews, but ultimately to everyone, and the church would be built on the foundation of Christ. In fact, the Scripture does say in Ephesians that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It's still a good thing for Christians to pick biblical names, for their children. Of course, we've kind of gotten away from that practice. It's clear that human tradition has robbed so many of the truths concerning the birth of Christ and why he came. See, the birth of Christ was the only way God chose that he could provide a savior for a lost and fallen man. How important that we sweep aside human traditions and pagan errors and seek the truth as it's found in the Bible. We always have to keep coming back to the Bible. So this Christmas season, I would like to consider with you some delightful thoughts that surely come to, your, come to our minds every time we hear the name Jesus. If you think rightly about the name Jesus, that is in the way the scriptures describe him, and if you do so honestly, I think we should walk away this morning with a new heart, possibly, 
or if you already have a new heart, that you would have your heart strangely warmed. And may we all find the name of Jesus to be a joy to our ears and to our hearts, for that's the reason for this season, Jesus Christ. And it is true that Jesus is the way to God, therefore we should follow him, that Jesus is the truth, therefore we should hear him, and Jesus is life, therefore we should in our hearts rejoice in him. This time of year should be a time of rejoicing, but our rejoicing should be for the right reasons. Scripture gives us a correct view of the name Jesus right in our passage. And I would like to take a a few moments for you to notice at least five things in connection with the name of Jesus. And the first one is this, that the name of Jesus is divinely ordered For it says in our text, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the Lord God did not allow this name to be chosen by some mere mortal. According to our text, the angel of the Lord that says you shall call his name Jesus is the one who spoke. The Father made sure that the son's name would not be fooled around with. Because the name given was for sure the very best name, the most appropriate name that our Lord could have ever received. Mary and Joseph were not consulted as to the child's name and what it should be. The name Jesus came down from the highest ranks of heaven and from the very throne of God, that the name The father had chosen in infinite wisdom and gives it to his son. The son might be given and might be able to meet the highest standards of that name because in the name, the father had commissioned Jesus to rescue sinners. So see, Jesus' name was divinely ordered. Secondly, in our text, The name of Jesus was divinely explained. The exposition will not be left to even the most learned scholar of the day. No, it is the Holy Spirit who explains for us and clearly tells us the reason for his name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So Savior is the meaning It is given to our Lord because he saves. And don't misunderstand, this is no common temporary salvation from enemies or troubles. No, Jesus saves from the greatest spiritual enemies because he is the Savior in a sense that no one else could be. He saves his people from their sins. And you know what our big problem is? Our sins. Our sins are the thing that separates us from God, a holy God. Our sins are the things that keep us out of his presence. Our sins are the things that get us in trouble. Our sins that we commit every single day, and we don't even know how many we commit. 
will be held against us in judgment. See, so Jesus saves his people from their sins, and that means Jesus brings a great salvation to us. As it says in Hebrews, how will we escape if we next neglect so great a salvation? The, whole, the answer to that question is there is no escape. And Jesus also brings us an eternal salvation, where it also says in Hebrews, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So if our God divinely explains for us the meaning of the name Jesus to be Savior, then he will guarantee the success of Jesus' mission which is to save his people from their sins. And did you know that Joshua in the Old Testament, that Hebrew form of the word Jesus, Jesus is the Greek, and Jesus and Joshua are similar names. Joshua is actually in the Old Testament a type or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do in the Old Testament? Well, when Moses could not lead the people into Canaan, Joshua did. Joshua overcame the enemies of God's people, even though they were many and very strong, with walled cities and chariots of iron, yet in the name of Jehovah, the captain of the Lord's army, Joshua smote them. Joshua conquered the land, and obtained an inheritance for Israel, and they settled in the land flowing with milk and honey and enter into a temporary rest. And Joshua caused the people to serve the Lord all his days, but he could not save his people from their sin. For after Joshua's death, the people grievously and quickly went astray. They couldn't do it. They couldn't save themselves. Joshua couldn't save them. Moses could not save them. So what does Jesus do? Our Lord Jesus accomplishes what the law could never have done because the law was never designed by God to save, only to show us that we're sinners. So our glorious Lord Jesus smites our sins and all the powers of darkness and utterly destroys all our spiritual enemies, See, our Lord Jesus gives his children also an inheritance more divine. He gives us infinite, eternal rest, for he is our peace. And all that know him have entered into rest. But our Lord Jesus went on to conquer where no one else could. So that all his people have victory over sin and death through his blood. Therefore, the name Jesus is a name above all names. Because he is the only one who will save his people from their sins and its penalty. Because he is the one who took the curse for sin. And there's a third thing in our passage about Jesus, that Jesus had a significant prophetic connection in our passage. It says, now 
All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Well, what prophet are we talking about? We're talking about the prophet Isaiah. That some 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah already told us it would take place. Now, that's amazing in and of itself. We can't get things right from one day to the next. And here's 700 years later, and it happens exactly the way the Bible tells us. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign that the child born would have a supernatural birth, a birth unprecedented in human history, something that would happen that never happened before." And what what is that? Well, Matthew is quoting Isaiah, and this is what he says, for behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Now, of course, the key word in that passage is virgin. Well, virgins don't have children, right? They have to be impregnated first. So the Messiah would be born a virgin. If a woman became pregnant, that would not be a special sign. That would be normal. But if a virgin became pregnant and brought a son into the world, that's a miracle. It's a miraculous sign that God gave us. And Isaiah told us that a long, long, long time ago. Hasn't changed. God's plan hasn't changed. It's just right on track. So all these promises of God are like signposts on a highway. They're leading somewhere. They're pointing somewhere. So by faith, in the message of the signpost, you follow its direction and you move toward its points. So God's promises point to a person, which leads one to one important piece of information, and it's this, that a male child will be God. For it says in the same passage of Scripture, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So we see in Scripture that the gospel is focused in on a person, one person, and it's centered in on the cross. So whether you're born before the cross or whether you're born after the cross, you both have to look to the cross to be saved and the person who was on that cross. In other words, Jesus bears a significant tantamount to that of Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he is Jesus the Savior because he is Emmanuel and our Savior is God and therefore able to save to the uttermost, where it tells us in Hebrews, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. How great is salvation like that. There's no greater message than this in all the world. Never has been, never will be. See, God can save all immoral and moral Christless people wherever sin and evil are found. And by the way, sin and evil are found everywhere. Why? Because humans are found everywhere. And sin is already in our heart. We have a bad heart and we have a bad record because we sin every day. 
There's a fourth thing about the name, and it's this, that Jesus' name identifies with his people. For it says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So the name declares his relationship to people. God is not far off where we don't know who he is. He's near us. He's with us. He's given us the word of God to tell us what we ought to know, how to be right with God. Everything about what's even going to come. Jesus, Jesus is coming again. The world is being set up for the coming of Jesus Christ. So it declares, his name declares a relationship with people. Because it is to them he is a savior. There is no knowing our Lord if he be not known as a savior, for he is that or nothing. You see that God does not save, though, everyone, only his people. Those who have been set apart as God's own treasure, well, who are they? Well, those who are his own and personally belong to him, and why do they? Because they have turn from what they were trusting in to save themselves? And what do people usually trust in? A religious system? Do's and don'ts? Their good works? Hopefully when I die, my, my scale will be heavier on good works than bad works. That's how people think today. Even all religious systems think like that. If you talk to a Muslim today, they will say to you, if you die, are you going to go to the kingdom of God? They said, I hope my weights are heavy. Because they, they hope their scale of good things they've done is heavier than their bad. See, people have to lay those things aside because it's not a religious system that's going to save you. It's not any good works that are going to save you. How many good works do you do before God will say, I'll save you? There's, there's no number because you can't get saved by good works. Only by turning from trusting in those things and by embracing the only one who could rescue you from your condemning sin. <clears throat> and that is Jesus Christ. Who are these people? They're his elect, it says in Scripture, whom the Father gave Jesus before the earth ever was. Who are they? They are those whose names are graven on the palms of his hands, and written on his heart. Who are they? They are those whom he paid the price for redemption. Who are they? They are those who know they need to be saved and from, saved from the justice of God's wrath, and they shall be saved when they run to the Savior whose name is Jesus. So do you want to be saved if you don't know you are today? Has the Holy Spirit of God actually taught you that you need salvation? Be encouraged today because it is the character of his people that they come guilt-ridden because of their sins, that they come 
because they need to be washed in the Savior's blood and be made clean. That they come to Jesus because there is no one else to save them from the penalty and condemnation of their own sin. But see, the thing is, do you know that you must be saved? If you are not saved by Jesus, you will miss heaven. You will not be saved, according to Scripture. So Jesus, that name, this part of his name, really refers to his humanity also. It was the name Joseph and Mary gave their supernaturally conceived son in obedience to the angel's command. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The term expresses the Lord's genuine humanity. He came as an infant. He grew like other little boys, learned and observed and studied became weary, experienced hunger and thirst. And you may ask, well, why, that? why is that important? Well, Jesus becoming a real man made it possible in his role of redeemer. The only way God's wrath against sin could be satisfied was the death of a sinless man who could be the substitute for sinners like you and I. An angel could not die, neither could animal sacrifices accomplish eternal salvation. Jesus, the God-man, died and paid the price for, for sinners as a absolute sinless substitute, which made his sacrifice acceptable to the Father. See, the death of Christ for us was the ultimate sacrifice. It paid the penalty for our sin in full. It opened up the way for us to have peace with God, to be made right with God. And even in death, Jesus was Lord. His resurrection was proof of that. And the Apostle Paul writes that Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He's the only one who rose from the grave by his own power. He was the only one who was virgin-born. He was only, the only one prophesied seven years before his birth. He was the only one. The point of Scripture is that Jesus is the only way. There's no other way to be saved. To deny that Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, has come in the flesh is to deny his righteous, sinless life as the real God-man, it is to deny his sacrificial, substitutionary, substitutionary death on the cross as a real man. It's to deny, deny his resurrection from the grave as the real God-man. It's to deny his ministry as prophet, high priest, and king. So if you and me never sinned, you and me would have never required a savior. And therefore, we would have no need for the name Jesus. But the reality of the situation is this. We are guilty of our sins and justly condemn them. So if 
you feel yourselves to need saving, then today cast yourself upon the one who will fulfill his own name and will exhibit his power in you as you confess your sin to him. He will save you from it. Only believe in him, and he will be your salvation. I know that. I came to know the Lord myself. I wasn't born a Christian. I was born religious, but I wasn't born a Christian. I had to hear the gospel. The Lord Lord had to open up my eyes. He had to convict me of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And he he brought me to the place where I called upon Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And from that day forward, everything changed. He is a true Savior. He will listen to your prayers. He came to do that, to accomplish that mission. And this brings me to my last point, that the name of Jesus points to his main work. And what is his main work? It says, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save. I like that. There's no confusion in that. He will save. See, Jesus does save his people from their sin. How does he do it? He does it by taking all the sins of his people upon himself. And because he took their load, his people are free and no longer have the burden of sin to weigh them down. He saves them by bearing the penalty due because of their sin. Christ was made a curse for us. He suffered for us. He died, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. Also, he saves them by bearing the wrath of God's clean justice. Jesus has taken the sin and paid the penalty which was due us. He saves his people from the power and the tyranny and the dominion of sins which has mastery over us. And he saves us completely. That is, Jesus' work was so thorough. Everything was accomplished and nothing needs to be done. We don't get We don't help God save us. We cannot provide anything to God. He does all the saving. So completely does Jesus save those who receive him as Lord and Savior that he makes them fit to dwell with angels and better than that, that he will make them fit to dwell with himself, God himself, and be one with Jesus through all eternity. So yes, Jesus bears the name that he well deserves and no one else, a name like no other. The world and secular society has brought this holiday of Christmas into confusion and has successfully focused the attention of much of the population off the name of Jesus and onto fictitious glimmering elves and reindeer and blinking Santas, which is so foolish, has nothing to do with anything. And yet still, people need Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. And it's just condemnation. Jesus, the Savior, has transformed millions of people who've come to him and asked him to save him. Vile and profane people, he'd made pure in speech, 
All manner of people have been changed by the amazing name of Jesus Christ. So we should be glad today that the scripture tells us that Jesus receives sinners. And we have many examples in scripture. He did, he always has, and he still does receive sinners. His plan has not changed. And I'm thinking of several people in scripture like Lydia. She was a businesswoman. Was down by the shore praying one day, but she was religious. Good, probably a good lady, good business lady. But one of the apostles came and preached the gospel to her. You know what happened? It says the Bible says God opened her heart and she believed. So until that time, she was religious, but she was not saved. And then you have the Samaritan woman. She was an adulterer. She's been married now, well, her fifth husband, uh, that's when Jesus met her. And he kind of told her her sins. And then she figured out this guy's more than just a human being. He's, he's a prophet. And, of course, that Samaritan woman gets saved, goes back to her brethren. She tells them what he did and how much she told her about herself. And they hear him, and they get saved. And then you have the maniac of Gadaria, the Bible says, possessed by a legion of demons. The Bible says in Scripture, he wore no clothes, lived in tombs. He was insane. He met Jesus. The devils depart. He sits there. The scripture tells us, clothed in his right mind, and he became a witness to the power of Christ in the whole region. Imagine that. See, no sinner, no sinner is beyond his saving power. All these needed to be saved, and all of them could be saved because of Jesus. Homosexuals can be saved. All those in the LGBT community can be saved. Harlots can be saved. Liars can be saved. Murderers can be saved. The religious person can be saved. The moral person who thinks he's going to get made, be made right with God in his, in his morality can be saved. The ethical person can be saved. The religious self-righteous person can be saved. We all fit one of those categories. See, the Lord Jesus is indeed someone who receives sinners. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he came. He receives them to pardon them. He receives them to save them. He receives them to sanctify them, to forgive them, to make them fit for heaven. It was to this end that Jesus came into the world. In fact, the Gospel of Luke says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. How much does God actually forgive sin? Well, the grace forgiveness of God is not limited, and it's, it's not a limited pardon. When God forgives a person, he puts out his hand and freely forgives. 
When God forgives, he draws the mark through every sin which the believer has ever committed or ever will commit. However many, however monstrous your sins may have been, even the sins that you may have committed the moment you were saved, all of them are blotted out. All of them are gone. See, when God pardons the sins of the unbeliever, there is not one single one left, not even a half of one. When God forgives, he not only forgives all, he forgives once for all. See, when God forgives, there is never punishment afterwards. By one sacrifice, there is full remission of all sin that ever was against a believer or ever will be against a believer. So your sins are all gone. That's how God forgives. Never to bring it up against you again. That's why the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. They're all gone, and they'll never return again. That Jesus has taken them all away as far as the east is from the west. They're all gone, gone eternally. That's the God I want to save me. Because that's the kind of God who forgives like that. Nobody forgives like that. But Jesus does. So on this Christmas Eve, if you desire salvation, maybe you don't know where you're at. If you desire salvation and want to know what to do, I advise you to go this very day to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell him that you heard that you re he receives sinners. Where the Bible says, he who comes unto me and I will no wise cast out. Tell him that you are a poor sinner, helpless, can't help yourself. And that you come to him on faith of his own invitation. Tell him that you put yourself wholly, entirely in his hands. That you feel helpless and hopeless in yourself. And that except he saves you, you have no hope of being saved at all. And then ask him. See, the Bible says we're to call upon the Lord. Not just have a bunch of information on how to be saved, but ask him to save you. Lord, I'm a sinner. Ask him to pardon you, to wash you in his own blood and make you fit. Ask him to give you a new heart. And plant the Holy Spirit in your soul. Ask him to give grace and faith and will and power and be his disciple and servant for the rest of your days until he takes you. So my friend, don't wait until you feel unworthy. Wait for nothing. Waiting, wait for nobody. If he's calling and tugging upon your heart today, today is the day of salvation. Waiting comes from the devil. Because you know what the devil says? Hey, you're young. You have plenty of time. Don't worry about it. And I've done many 
funerals for young people, babies, teenagers. And then when you're too old, he says, you're too old and crotchety and set in your ways. Don't worry about it. That's what he says. See, that's what he does. I say to you, go as you are to Christ. The worst you are. And you'll never mend yourself by staying away from Christ. One other thing before I pray. Come and ask Jesus to save you in your own words. Jesus can understand you. He, uh, he understands and reads a sigh. He knows the meaning of a groan. Come today to the one who bears the grand and glorious name of Jesus Christ. And then you know what the last verse says in our passage that we read today? And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary to be his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. It's a name that we preach to this very day and it is a name that will be preached until the last day to those who are faithful to it. For Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Given by divine order. Given by divine explanation. Given by prophetic proclamation given for his people, and given because it was his mission. It's always first and foremost of all the name because it is the only name that people are saved. So the word of God is clear and emphatic concerning the centrality and exclusivity of the preaching of the name of Jesus. And for those who know Jesus, you know what the Bible tells us? It says in Hebrews, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that gives thanks to his name. So if anybody we have to thank in our life for anything, it would be to thank Jesus for our salvation. That's what Christmas is about. So we can never forget that. No matter all the distractions the world wants to bring us in this direction, that direction, every year it seems to be different. You know, it's all commercial consumerism. That's all it is. And you get wrapped up in that, you know? I mean, I, I think I've, I feel more anxiety during Christmas than any other holiday. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to go there. I got to see this. I got to go by that. Oh, oh. Just rest in Jesus. He's the Savior. Amen. Go away today and honestly ask yourself, where do you stand with Christ? Today may be the day of salvation for you. I know several people that have trusted Christ 
as Lord and Savior on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve because they heard a message from the Word of God because there's nowhere else to go, brethren. There's no other place I would rather go than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. You are so kind to us. You are so patient with us, long-suffering. And Lord, we thank you that in Scripture, we do not have to go very far. We just open up Matthew in the first chapter. We find the very message we need that brings us to a place to see where we stand with you, Lord. Have we come to know you as our Savior? Have we called upon you and asked you to save us? I pray if there's someone here today who has not done that yet, today would be the day. And thank you, Lord, that on the authority of the word of God, you receive sinners. That's your mission. And Lord, I'm a sinner. I came to know you. You saved me. And I know many people, they saw themselves a sinner. They saw Jesus, the Savior, and they asked you to save them, and you did. Thank you that anyone who comes to you like that, you will no wise cast out. So I thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless these people. Bless their families. Bless this holiday as they meet with other people in their family. And I pray, Lord, allow them to be honest and true with themselves as to where they stand with you and then go on from this day forward and every day to live for you with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. And I pray this this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.